subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Good morning, Cliff. Good morning to you, Bobo. Bright and early, it's 11.36 a.m. Set my alarm for this one. Yeah, me too, but I didn't even need it. Yeah, well, I didn't either, but it's good to have my alarm set anyway, because you never know. How are you feeling good today? Everything's coming up, Bobo, I assume? Yep, everything's Millhouse today. Awesome, awesome. Things are pretty good here, too. we got beautiful blue skies. It's kind of cold. It's like 40 degrees, 41 degrees, but... I'm looking forward to getting outside and playing in the dirt a little bit. I've got a couple obligations today, though, besides this, of course. I'm looking forward to this conversation, but uh, i got a few hours to kill in between. And then at 5, I have to go to the museum today to film some sort of documentary or something. Something You're involved in it, too. Do you know anything about this, Bubs? I filmed them yesterday. Oh, how was it? Good? The cool guys? Yeah, he's cool. Excellent, excellent, yeah. Very good. Yeah, they wanted to do the museum and stuff. And it's like, well, we're kind of – it's kind of a business. We're not going to shut down for you. So I had to – scheduled for after after work hours which is fine i have to go there anyway there's some stuff i need to do today it is my day off so there's fewer things i need to do at work which is what days off are for me now theoretically if everything goes well tomorrow i will have no work obligations tomorrow you know how we always talk about like there doesn't seem to be some overarching conspiracy but there's a lot of odd coincidences or happenings with bigfoot well a wit a witness sent me hairs from a uh, flesh sample he has. It's like a hunk of hide a couple inches by an inch or so. It's a small piece, but he, this guy is well enough versed in outdoors to, I mean, he's a professional hunter, guide, uh, da 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 it, Anyways, he mailed me some of the hairs, check them out to make sure they were past the, the microscope test before we try to do any DNA with it. Yeah, that's free. Looking at it under a microscope doesn't cost a dime. So every, that's the first step on any trip, right? So they disappear again. Someone mailed me something in the mail, hairs, and it never gets here. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, that's, I wouldn't say, yeah, you know me, man. I don't think that's a Bigfoot thing because, you know, uh, Lori Jo Hamilton, one of the best researchers alive um, in a lot of ways, uh, her birthday was last week and I sent her a birthday gift and it never arrived either. You know, and I don't know what the, what the the Bigfoot police would want with what I sent her. You know, she's like a little tchotchke gift or something. So yeah, but every um, usually the mail works pretty good for me. I mean, the only problems I have with that where I got something from someone I know was coming in the mail, like an envelope, uh huh, has only been Bigfoot hairs like that is that I know like someone sent me a something in the mail like in an envelope that didn't get here. See, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff I don't get that I just never know. I don't care. But this, I was like, you know, checking all the time. And I didn't want to badger the guy like, hey, did you send that yet? But I just sent it. He said, I sent it two weeks ago. I'm like, dang, it's never showed up. Oh, that's too bad. Well, it is, you know, it's the holiday season. Maybe it's, that has something to do with it. It's just going to be lost for a little while and show up. Because if that does show up, um, if you want to send me a hair, I'll be happy to look at it. And uh, and there, if there's flesh associated with it, um, I could probably scrape up some funding. You know, if you need to move ahead with that one, I can probably help you out. It wouldn't be my money. I've got, I've got an anonymous benefactor that uh, is willing to kick down for a DNA test if I think it's the real deal. So, you know, but so far nothing has uh, come up to that level yet. So I have a feeling I've got a good, a good, uh, feeling about this one. Well, let's hope so. Let's keep our fingers crossed on that. That's exciting though. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
yeah, I don't think I've got any uh, cool Bigfoot stuff like that going on. I mean, there's other cool things going on. Um, the, you know, the Freeman book, uh, Michael Freeman's book about his father's research, that should be out in the next, well, maybe by the time this airs, actually. Beginning of December at some point, that should be out. Uh, I was talking to, or I was texting with Michael yesterday. I was sent a PDF copy, and man, it is a beautiful book. It is going to be awesome. People are going to love this. And those few holdouts now that are still saying that Freeman's a hoaxer, and I know it because I believe it. Um, those people, uh, I think this book might even change some of those people's minds. Once they see um, the actual evidence in the ground and read uh, uh, read about the um, uh, analysis of some of this stuff, I think it's going to be very, very um, – well, so I think it's going to be effective in turning the tide a little bit um, in favor of Paul Freeman, which is where it needs to be, you know, because he's done he did such great work. Did, did the Q codes, whatever those, what those called, QR codes? Yeah, the QR codes. Yeah, they're peppered throughout the book. They work wonderfully. I tried them out, even though I had it just on my screen. I, you know, I took shots of it on my phone and clicked the button, and you know, then, then all of a sudden, you know, he was talking to me. You know, actually hearing Paul Freeman's voice. This could be the, one of the top five Bigfoot books published this decade. Oh, I'm sure it sounded awesome. Yeah, yeah, and then um, you know, and, and mind you, I, I have access to the Paul Freeman photo album, you know, um, and, and I've seen a lot of the pictures that uh, uh, Michael has uh, been sharing and stuff. But even even me, you know, this this Paul Freeman nerd, um, flipping through the book, there were photographs in there I didn't, I never saw before, I had never seen, um, and some of the photographs that I had seen before, I didn't know who were who was in them. And but he clarified that too because Michael himself wrote all the captions for every single photograph in the book, so it's a uh, pretty cool. And um, I was a little gratified uh, um, flipping through the book. Uh, I saw a lot of photographs that I took of various footprint casts um, with my you know one inch or one half inch grid behind it, depending on the photograph. Um, yeah, so I was kind of gratified at that. Um, I don't know if I got credit for it, but it doesn't really matter because I know that it's me and I know that I helped Michael, a good friend. And I know that I'm trying to put the truth out there. Tell them to stop, pub- hold publishing, and fix that. I need credit for every picture taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Feed my ego. But yeah, it was cool. Then, of course, there's a lot, uh, another great thing about the Freeman book, of course, is, um, well, the chapters that are written. You know, I got to write a chapter, and I t- talked about the congruence of evidence between the Paul Freeman stuff and how the evidence holds up because it compares well in uh, other people. Um, uh, you know, Dennis Hereford or Tom Shea or, you know, all these other people who have cast footprints in other places, you can see some of the same features in the Freeman cast or the Blue Mountain cast because it's Summerlin and all those folks too. The Blue Mountain cast, as you can in these new casts that have been done since that time, um, like in the Tom Shea incidents, for, for example. Um, but, you know, Meldrum wrote a chapter in there. Dar Addington wrote a chapter in there. And like Dar is a legend. Most people don't know who she is. Uh, and that's just too bad because she was a legend, man. She's out there goat packing and casting footprints and hanging out with Paul and John Mayanzinski and all these other legends. Uh, and she wrote a whole chapter for it. And she's never had a voice in the community at all. So that that alone is enough reason to pick up this book. It's fantastic. And to, by the way, for my listeners, our listeners out there, I, I didn't get a dime for this. Uh, I am not ranting and raving about the book because I get paid for any of it. I didn't get paid for writing my chapter. I did it as a favor for a friend. Um, All the photographs I donated, I'm not getting any royalties for them whatsoever. I am just pleased. I'm thrilled, honored to be a part of this project. Um, So when you hear me rant, don't think, oh, close to making money on this. I absolutely am not. I am ranting because this book deserves it. 
um, and whatever that's worth. I don't get a darn thing out of it except for the you know the the ego boost of having been involved in such a um, historic project. For sure, dude. That's more than worth a couple hundred bucks. Oh yeah, it's it's just a neat thing to be involved in. Um, yeah, and of course, and and really, the the payment for me. Um, is uh, Michael's now a good close friend of mine, and he's a cool guy, man, a cool guy, and he knows his dad's research as well as anybody. Um, yeah, I just really enjoy spending time with him. So, when, when, whenever, whenever. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> That's great. Well, speaking of books, we got a newly published author on Joe Bielart helped him do the book, and Joe is calling up and saying, "Hey, you gotta get this guy on," and then. Talking to Joe, then I realized, oh, it's this guy, Ken, I've never met, but Stenny, our late deceased friend, Bigfoot buddy, Mark Stenberg, Stenny, would uh, go with this guy. And I'd heard his name a lot, and I almost met him a few times, but I never actually met him in person, just talked to him recently on the phone here. We got uh, Ken Carter joining us today. Yeah, and Ken Carter, of course, has written it. The book that he that Bobo mentioned is called Cancer and Bigfoot, My Story. Now, it's kind of a, it's, you know, because unfortunately, well, we'll hear the whole story from Ken, but basically this is a story about a one man's battle against cancer and, and what role Bigfoot had in that. Um, and, you know, like, how are those things connected? Well, let's find out. Ken, welcome to Bigfoot and Beyond. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, Ken. Hey, Bobo. Yeah, like, how you feeling, man? I mean, you had cancer. How are you feeling now? Uh, I am feeling great. It's been four plus years since I had a bone marrow transplant, and so far, so good. That hurt. Those hurt real bad, right? Not the bone, bone marrow. Is it worse for the person donating, right, than the person receiving? I think the person that donates it to me is the worse. And but it's just, you know, I spent ninety-two days at Stanford Hospital, and that was a long time to be away from home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's too long to stay away from home, especially for that reason. So um, let, let's back up a little bit and, and like kind of go to the beginning of this story. Not necessarily the beginning of the book, but the beginning of the story itself, and on, on and what what you're trying to uh, share with your readers. What what came first? I mean, like the, the Bigfoot interest has been around for a while because I met you years and years and years ago. How did you event? How did you initially become interested in this Bigfoot thing? Well, it started about the winter of 2012. Uh, I used to go over my daughter's house every Sunday evening. She'd make me dinner and chocolate chip cookies. And we watched Finding Bigfoot. Oh, it's our fault. Yeah. <laughs> so we watched you every Sunday evening and I started doing some research and I said, Hey, they have a, there's a BFRO expedition up at Bluff Creek in August of 2012. I asked my daughter, you want to go? He goes, she goes, yeah. So that's how it all started. What did you expect going into one of these BFRO expeditions? I didn't know what to expect. I just, we were going to go to the uh, Patterson-Giblin site. And what a, what a wonderful experience. There were some great people. I started ho- hooking up with a guy named uh, Russ Lockeran and his son that were there from Tigard, Oregon. And we are great friends to this day. So it was, you know, we went out at night and... Some strange stuff happens. Like, wow, man, this is exciting. I got to go again. So just shortly after that, about a month later, I was on the road to Oregon on another adventure. Yeah, BFR expeditions are kind of like uh, college dorms. Like your freshman year, you know, it's like your introduction to this new world, and you make some of your best lifelong friends during like that that period, like that introductory period. 
Yeah, I mean, that's true for me as well. Just whatever it's worth. I met Moneymaker and Bobo and Bart and a handful of other fantastic people I'm still friends with today on my first BFRO expedition, the um, the one at Gold Bluff Beach out there in the Redwoods. I've always told people when they ask me, like, hey, these BFRO trips, are they worth it? I go, you know what? Here's the deal. You may or may not hear or see a Bigfoot, but you'll learn a little bit about how, about how to get close to them or to see if they're in the neighborhood or whatever by the sounds and other things that you look for. The real value of any BFRO trip for, for you know, whatever it's worth for, you know, my opinion, is um, the people that you meet and networking with those people. Uh, because... The whole point of Bigfoot is to go to the woods, Bigfooting is to go to the woods with people that you enjoy spending time with. Because you know that, like, if I go to the woods with Bobo, I know Bobo's going to be there. I know we're going to have a good time. Bigfoot may or may not, a Sasquatch may not show up, but I know Bobo's going to be there and it's going to be a good time. That's the point. Having good times, uh, looking for this mystery with your friends in the woods, man. What did you think? Did you make it down to the Patterson-Gimlin film site? We did. Uh, I believe the first night we went up to Onion Mountain. And that's got a lot of history. And we had some eye shine looking at us. And we, <laughs> there was four of us all cuddled up together, huddled up. Like everybody, everybody's kind of scared. It's like, what in the world is this? So the next day we were going to go back up. And we had about 25 people that wanted to come with us. From there, we went to the Patterson-Giblin site and actually spent the night right there. So that was kind of enjoyable. Oh, that's cool. Could you drive down to the bat boxes at that time, or did you have to walk? No, you had to park up top. I see, and then walk all the rest of the way in. That was the first year they closed it, after the wool heater incident. <laughs> Craig Woolheater from the Texas Bigfoot Conference. He, uh, when we, we went down there to, we went down there with him to show those guys, and driving back out. I guess I drove too fast out for him, and I was in my four by truck and. I drove, he didn't, I told him, I told him, I said, you got to hug the cliffside, like drive up so your wheels are on the cliff. Don't get too close to the edge. And he just drove in the tracks, like the old tracks, which would let you slide off. And he slid off like a skateboarder doing an axle grind, like on a, a, a coping of a pool, like a dry pool or a ramp. He was, had two tight, like the, both the driver's side tires were hanging off the cliff and it, it's a couple hundred foot drop. And then the passengers got out and then, Oh man, we had to hold the car for Craig to climb out. Like it was, it was gnarly. But you guys saw red. There, there was red eyes seen down there that night, right? Wasn't there? Some guys saw some eyes, glowing red eyes, at, when you were camped out at the site. There was two guys left at the fire pit sitting. There. It was late at night, and I had just laid down. And I was kind of dozing, and one of the guys came over to me. He goes, "Ken, I just saw a small person walk." You know, there's a little trail that goes down to that flat area where we camped. He goes, I just saw something walk across the trail. And I, you know, you're kind of half out of it. I didn't pay attention. He was all freaked out. So, and then the other guy that he was with a few minutes later saw it walk the other way. Uh, he said it looked like, oh, it was probably, he said it was about four to five feet tall, but he just saw the shadow. So, he was he was pretty uh pretty excited I have to say well yeah for good reason it sounds like well, plus going to the PG sites is a fun thing to do anyway so just how, how fantastic he had an opportunity to do that then you know it's amazing to see where the actual filming of the Bigfoot where it walks across the gravel bar is now full of big trees and it's it's up from the creek about oh I don't know 15 20 feet higher than the creek bed 
and uh, you could see the old stumps in the background from the original picture. So yeah, it was it was it was pretty good. But it's and it what caught my attention, it was so small. Well, it's kind of like going to a movie set or a television set. It's like 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 really that's all the rumor is. Like it looks so much bigger on TV, right? So it, it, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Basically, you went on your first BFRO trip to Bluff Creek, which is a great historic choice. And it sounds like the hook was set at that point because you wanted to go on more of these trips. Oh, absolutely. Well, you guys, you, you saw, well, you, uh, well, I think you, this was that trip that you, you and your daughter and whoever you're with saw red eyes at Onion Lake, right? Right on top of Onion Mountain. Yeah, because you guys parked at the berm and then walked just down past the berm. And that's, I've had incidents there myself. Yeah, there's a road there and we had stopped there and we were looking around and saw some red eyes. I was probably guessing it was about 40 yards away and it was, it was up in the air pretty high and we were all looking at it and it was, it would disappear. Then it'd come to the other side and look at us. And this went on for about, eh, it wasn't very long, three or four minutes. And then it was gone. So the next day we wanted to come up and see it during the daytime. And there was a big brush pile, a big, pile of cut trees and whatever it was was on the other side of this bunch of trees it's like oh okay but we didn't see any footprints because it was pretty hard packed and um so the next night that's when we had like 20 people come with us we all spread out i had a uh, i believe bill brewer gave me let me borrow a uh, a thermal and i went to that same spot and my daughter started they call it being zapped, I guess, you know, she, she goes, dad, I'm not feeling good, man. My, my heart's pounding and, and, and my legs are going numb. And at, and, and I had the thermal out. And at that same time, my thermal went out and we had walkie talkies for everybody. And that went out and it's like, oh, wow. So this lasted four or five minutes and then everything came back on. So I don't, I don't know what the heck that was. Okay, that's weird. And the red eyes and stuff I can handle, but it's that electronic failure thing that always kind of bothers me. I don't know what, I don't, yeah, it was, and it all happened at the same time, so. At the time, were you going like, this is weird, there's red eyes? Oh, no, Bubba, we were excited. You know, first time, it's like, oh, man, this, this is great. We got to do this again. And you did. You, you've been on a bunch of trips since then. Absolutely. Yeah, we went up to, up to Oregon and found some great spots to go there. Uh, went on a, like I said, an expedition up in Florence, Oregon, where, where I met you, Cliff. Yeah, Chris Minier uh, uh, ran that trip, and Chris is one of the best in that part of the state, actually. He was a great guy. And, and the first night that I took both my daughters there, and we all followed Chris up to the top of this mountain during the, in the road. And we got out, and it was pouring rain, and he had a saxophone. He goes, this will bring him in. So he's playing the saxophone out in the rain, and we're standing out there. It was about midnight, and my daughters are looking at me, and they're going, what the heck is this guy doing, man? This is crazy. <laughs> so, you know, after about 10 minutes of him playing the sax, he goes, let, let, let's go. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't always work. Yeah, I've been out on uh, several trips with Chris to the Woods, and he always brings out a musical instrument of some sort. Um, he very often plays flugelhorn because it's, it's such an interesting um, sound to it and travels so far. 
uh, it's kind of a, a weird trumpet sort of thing. But um, yeah, Chris is a lot of fun. He's super smart. He's very dedicated. I haven't talked to him for a long time. He'd be a fun guy to get on the podcast. He's not deterred by bad weather either. He took these guys out. He, he takes out in a driving storm, like howling winds, sideways rain, and he pulls out a saxophone and starts playing the saxophone in the dark. And they're, they're on there, you know, these, he brings his daughters. They're sitting there getting pounded by rain and wind. And here's this madman playing a saxophone into the night to these hairy hominids that are lurking in the depths of the darkness. And so I can only imagine, I can only imagine what's going through their minds. Has it ever worked? Yeah, the, here's here's the trick with Bigfoot, man. You do something unusual they've never heard, then they might come in and take a look. That's it. And flugelhorn is certainly unusual, and most Bigfoots have never heard one, or saxophone, or any of these instruments. You know, yeah, they're just they're, you know smart animals is, is what it comes down to. Um, and a smart animal keeps track of what's happening in its territory because literally its life depends on it. And there's frankly, I've always said, I man, there's not really that much to do out in the woods. There's only rocks and sticks for the most part to play with. Um, so if something cool and interesting and weird comes in and they've got nothing better to do and their belly's full, yeah, they might come in and take a look for a while because, uh, they need to be entertained somehow. So after the Florence trip, um, I, which seemed to be somewhat of a success, it seems like you guys enjoyed yourself on that. Um, it sounds like you've started doing a lot of work up here, um, um, in, in my neck of the woods with, um, various Bigfooters around here. Uh, is that, has that been your main focus? Cause I know you've also been to the Sierras, uh, do you have a preference on where you go? Well, there's there's a place in the Sierras that's about a three-hour drive from me, so it's really close. And I've been there six times this summer. It's just it's a great place. Were you there when those guys got the thermal footage? Yes, sir. They were camped right next to me. Matter of fact, that was uh, Robert Collier, correct? Yeah, we had him on the podcast as a guest. Yeah, Robert actually. Collier was camped next to us. I say next to us. The Meadows is it's about a mile long. They were about a quarter mile from us, and. At that time, we had no idea that that they had a thermal right there next to them. So uh, until I saw it on YouTube or whatever, wherever it's at. But uh, well, you saw the that means you saw the footprint cast that they got too, right? Uh, yes, I did. All right, I, I've uh, how do they look to you? Pretty good. I've not seen those yet. I still like to, but that's a good place. So I like to go there, and then um, there's a place between. Uh, well, it's called the Oregon Bigfoot Highway. Well, Highway 224 along the Clackamas River. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of places I go. Uh, some of the places that I used to go to burnt, burnt up a couple of years ago. So, But I was up there in October, and uh, it's, it's a great place. You just drive right to it. Uh, we, we, had a, we had a night walker around 4 o'clock in the morning walking right down the road, and it, and it woke me up. I'm in the back of my truck with the camper shell open the tailgate down, and it woke me up, and it stopped right at the edge of my truck for a few seconds and turned around and walked away. It's like, okay, I wonder who that was. It, there ain't nobody else up there. So, and it was nice because Joe heard it. Uh, matter of fact, Joe said that it stopped right by his window because he was sleeping in his truck. I don't know how he does that in the front seat, but he said one of them or something came and was looking at him and it kind of gave him the eerie, feeling kind of not scared but like eh you know and then my other buddy ron who first time bigfooter he he heard the walker so now he's hooked so it's 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 wonderful it's great that's one thing about your book that it conveys is that people always talk about the exciting parts because he wants to hear about the boring parts but i mean you kind of chronicle it it gives a good overview of how 
what we call great action in a great spot. Like it doesn't sound like much like, Oh, it walked up. Like we heard, you know, walking by camp and then we saw some glowing eyes and there were some branch breakings. But what people don't realize is, okay, that, that might not sound like much, but when you're there in person, your adrenaline, your heart's pounding, your adrenaline's pumping. It's like a total rush. It's like, it's so it's, it's, uh, it's not overly dramatic all the time, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome. But, um, you, you kind of do a good job of showing like there's a lot of nights where nothing happens. A lot of nights. Which is why it's so important to choose the people you go out with carefully. You know, like a, a night out with Bobes is always fun. Or I go alone. I love that too. Um, but yeah, to go with somebody who is antsy or uh, um, fidgety and just wants to see a Bigfoot and goes nuts. And it's like, that's not even fun, you know? And because if they're there, they're, they'll probably come in. But if they're not there, there's nothing really you can do about it. And getting all uptight about it doesn't help. So what made you just drive 11 hours to like your, just because the people up there? Absolutely, Bobo. You know, the reason I do it, because I've got three or four friends that I like to go see, because I don't see them that often, maybe a couple times a year. And if I don't go up there, they're not going to come down here. They don't want to drive down to California. I don't blame them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go either. So, you know, I don't, you know, I am retired and I have plenty of time and so I drive up there. It's only a 11 hour drive, Bubba. It's not that's not that bad. <laughs> so that's the reason why I do it. So matter of fact, I'm going to fly up to Portland this Thursday and uh just see three or four friends and uh wish them Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, you're you're going to do the uh, breakfast thing, I guess next Friday. Yeah, I may or may not be able to make that, but uh if, you know, you should come by the museum afterwards and come check that out while you're in the neighborhood. It's literally 3 or 4 miles away. It's close. I have not been to it, but I drove by it uh, this June. And John, who the guy I was with, I goes, he goes, there's Cliff's Museum. You know what, Cliff? I will make a point to come up there uh, Friday after our uh, breakfast. Yeah, it'd be silly not to since you're all that way from home and it's right there. It's literally on the same street as Heidi's. Oh, okay. I will be there. Cliff, uh, these, this is the old timer guys that get through this breakfast. That usually means like 6 a.m. done by 7 or 8. No, no. Well, these guys are, are merciful upon me, and they meet at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock or 9.30, yeah. That's too early for me, 7. The retirees, and early, the retirees go out for breakfast. It's always like 6, 7. <laughs> I know, exactly. No, too early. Not me. Well, the crowd thins down at Heidi's, you know, after 8 a.m., so. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Now, I hate to even ask, but, like, how does cancer enter into all this, man? It started when I was going through treatment in the hospital through my cancer. And, and it was lymphoma, right? Isn't that Lymphoma, correct? that's correct. That's uh, my, my father had lymphoma, so I, I can sympathize. And my buddy Joe, who is a pub publisher and an author, he goes, he called me up. He, he goes, Ken, why don't you write, write down all your experiences and happy times? You know, let's, let's get a book together. I said, Joe, I am not a writer. He goes, you don't have to be a writer. Just write down what what you can remember on your trips. So I said, okay, I will do that. And you know what? That took all the pain and suffering out of me because I started thinking about some of my great moments. And, and going through chemo, man, it opened up my brain. I could remember 30 years ago like it was yesterday. It was really, really bizarre. Really? Like uh, compared to like your normal everyday consciousness, for whatever reason, chemotherapy helped you remember for things? some reason, it, was, it worked for me. So I, I, 
I started writing and I wrote on a lime paper and a pencil. And I wrote down because I would spend weeks in a hospital. So I started writing and I would give the write up to my wife and she would fax it to Joe up in Oregon. Then he would type it out. And that's how it got started right there. No kidding. And uh, so how long did you have, because uh, it's in remission now. Yeah. So how, how long were you dealing with this? Well, I started feeling crummy about August of 2016. You know, just I had night sweats and whenever you have that, there's something wrong. And I just weak and didn't feel good. So went in for a physical and my white blood cell count was through the roof. It's like, oh boy. So finally I was, I was out playing golf and I happened to have my cell phone with me and my doctor called me on the second hole. I, I should have never answered. He, <laughs> he goes, uh, Ken, yeah, you uh, either have leukemia or lymphoma. I said, oh, God, great. So needless to say, my the next 16 holes of golf were not very good. So I went in for chemo um, September of that year, 2016. I had six, I had 600 hours of it, which I would go in for 100 hours at a time, which took about five or six days. And then, then I would go home for two weeks and then I'd come back. So I did this six times. And after the sixth time, shoot, I lost 40 pounds and me, you know, I only weigh about 175 pounds. I, I didn't look very good. Yeah. You don't have a lot of 40 pounds to lose. No. Well, I did. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was pretty thin. Well, are you back up to your normal weight now? Uh, oh, absolutely. So, you know, I, you know, the cancer went away 2017 around springtime and shoot up in May, I headed up to Indian Henry, Oregon and uh, met a couple buddies there, Joe and his wife and Stenny was with me. Oh, I had a good time. And then we did a, uh, uh, in July of that year, C CNN people came down and did a little five minute short story about the group of uh, so it was uh, Tom Powell was there. Uh, I can't remember the other guy. There was about six or seven of us. They did a little short story up at Cape Camp, we call it. And uh, that was kind of exciting. But then uh, late that summer, I can tell it was coming back. So then I had another round of different chemo, which didn't work. So then my doctor said, well, let's let's try these chemo pills, Ken. And there was no side effects, and it was working. I said, Doc, man, how can you to give me this stuff at the beginning? So I had to go through this chemo stuff, you know? And then I had it set up to go to Stanford Hospital in March of 2018. And I had to transplant on March 30th. And I was there for a long time, three months. And I have nothing. It was, was what a wonderful, I have to say what a wonderful experience Stanford is. Just uh, doctors to the nurses to even the guy taking the garbage cans out were just first class people. And I appreciate them very much. So uh, that was I came home in June of 2018 and I'm good. You know, I have a I have a labs taken about every three or four months and so far so good. So nice. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so now you, you are continuing your big footing and um, you're cancer free and pushing forward. So since you since you've been through that dark forest, what is, what are some of the other highlights that um, you've got to experience? Because I imagine getting through cancer um, and and let's 
let's hope that no, none of our listeners have to do this, but you've been there, you've done this. It must give you a new, a, a new lease on life. Just everything must be a little bit more colorful and a little bit more beautiful. And tell us about that. Like the, it's like a rebirth in a way it must be. Yeah. I just hope no one goes through what I did. Uh, and I think it was worse for my wife and my kids and my family. It, it was, you know, because they didn't know what to expect. And I was, I was a mess and I was laying in bed all the time. She like couldn't even walk to the bathroom, you know, it was, and and I just feel sorry for my wife because she had to, uh, you know, go, go through that and take care of me. You sound pretty lazy. <laughs> well, I was for a couple of years, Bobo. <laughs> But I'm good. <laughs> but I'm good now, man. I'm good now. Very good. Very good. So, um, what are you up to now? I mean, uh, you, you must. I mean, you said you're coming up in my neck of the woods next week or whatever. Um, it's winter now. It's December. What What did you do this past year? Like during the uh, during the summertime, as far as Bigfoot goes. Yeah, I talk about a place in the book called Frog Meadows. It's in the Sierras, and. It's such a short drive there. Well, I, I go up there and uh, I either go up by myself or I meet a couple friends there. I have a good friend who works for the Forest Service uh, station right there. And he kind of tells me when it's open to come up, you know, there's no snow. So that's, that's very nice. Uh, actually, I it was really it was it was quiet this year. I have to admit. Was that related to the fires? Uh, you know, there there was no fires close to where I go. Um, they were, they were either South or, you know, North of us we were, we were lucky, but it was just, for some reason, it was, it was a quiet year for me. Uh, I have a buddy that goes up there and he said a week before I got up there, uh, oh, he, he, it was just, it was pretty wild, but you know, I can't, it was, it was quiet. So uh, and I did go up to Oregon in October. I talked about a little bit. The walker came through. And I go up there just uh it's a great place. You just drive to. Uh, I don't do much hiking anymore. It's just, it's just too tough for me. I can hike, but then I, I get tired after a couple hours and I'm done. Lazy, Bobo. Just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> We've established that. Uh, so so um, you were really good friends with Mark Stenberg. Um, and of course, most people who knew Mark were really good friends with him, of course. AKA uh, Stenny. Yeah. Yeah. Stenny was one of the best and a, a huge loss, um, to, you know, to my circles of, uh, you know, California Bigfooters back in the day, um, to see him check out or whatever. But, um, he, w- I imagine he was just a wonderful moral boost to you through, through your ordeal, right? He's in the book, Cliff. He visited him. He, he kept, he kept track day to day and Stenny was there. Yeah. A couple years ago. He came down with Parkinson's and he just, he just got worse and he was in a wheelchair. So I said, Stinny, I'm going to take you up to our favorite spot in the Sierras. He goes, okay, yeah, I want to go. So that was in June of this year. And, and I took him up there and there was three other guys with me uh, because it, you know, it's a handful to take care of somebody that's confined in a wheelchair. And, but we were up there for four days and, he he loved it so much. He thanked me every day for taking him up there, and I was supposed to take him up in September again, but uh, but he passed in first uh, of August. So yeah, well, you can still go. You can still go and bring him with you. Yeah, he told me about that. He he was so excited about that trip. He just 
talked about it like just he was it made his i mean he talked about it for months yeah you know you know he's the kind of guy that you talk to daily that's what i did either on the phone or we text all the time and uh you know we liked the same shows together and we watched them you know text them hey you know did you see it so it was it's a bit terrible loss so but uh I think he's in a better place now. He was just suffering too much. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So uh, it is the beginning of, well, the beginning of the year is coming up and everybody's kind of looking ahead to what they're really doing next here. So what, what do you hope to do maybe this uh, spring or do you have any winter Bigfooting ahead of you or anything like that? Well, unfortunately, the places I go get a lot of snow. Uh, and the place up in the Sierras is over 6,000 feet. So uh, usually by May, it'll be clear to go in there. Actually, I'm pretty quiet from now till May. So what, what was some of your most memorable? I mean, you had uh, other encounters up there, like uh, at that trailhead parking lot, the Skookum Lake trailhead. That's correct. Ooh, boo-boo, shh, got to be quiet. It's all, you wrote about it in the book. You like? Oh, I know it's okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, you speak of the trailhead. There was one incident. I believe it was either. I think it was in 2014. We had we had hiked down to Skookum Lake, and and uh, that's where I had uh, uh, my tent. In the middle of the night, I woke up. My I have this little backpacking tent. It's kind of like an off yellow color, and I woke up to my corner of my top of my tent was shaking and it would stop and then it starts shaking again i'm thinking oh the wind's blowing so this went on for a couple minutes like what in the heck is this and then i heard it or whatever it was walk away it's like oh boy so that 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 was it rest of the night so in the morning we got out i got out of my tent my buddy i was with he got out of his tent his eyes were really big he was like he goes what did you shake my tent last night? I said, no, I was going to ask you that. He goes, oh man, I don't know what the heck that was. But then when we came out of Skookum Lake, it's a pretty br- brutal climb. I don't know if any of you guys have done it. Yeah, I've been there. Have you? Yeah, I hiked over Big Thunder and uh, or yeah, Thunder it's Mountain, not very easy. I mean, it was pretty tough. But it's not very far, luckily. You know, it's, no, you it's only a couple and, miles. Yeah, up and over an entire mountain in about three miles, two and a half, three miles or something. So that next night, we just camped at the trailhead. And uh, there was three of us, and we're just sitting around the campfire. Uh, we we had a pretty good sized rock thrown up at us from the road down below, uh, and then we had there was ice shine around us, and there was there was two sets of ice shine down by the uh, Skookum Trail sign down at the end down there. And I and I told my buddy, I said, "Hey, why don't you go down there and check that out." He goes, no way. Why don't you? I said, man, I, I got to stay here and take care of the fire. So I wasn't going to go down there. So uh, and then later that night, um, we're we're all sleeping in our little backpacking tents. And and I woke up to the smell of strong urine smell. Oh, it was terrible. And and I had thought, you know, I'm checking myself. It's like, no, I'm OK. So I'm sitting there or I'm laying there. It's the middle of the night. I, I don't know what time it was. Then I start hearing this. It sounded like Henry Kissinger talking, you know, the, that the chatter. It's like, what the heck? I mean, it was close. I mean, it was like uh, within 30 feet. It was just 
like talking. I don't know. I don't know if it was talking to somebody or, you know, if there was two of them. I'm not sure. But this this went on for a while. It's like, oh my goodness. And you know, you're in your sleeping bag. You're in this backpacking tent, and it's raining a little bit, and you just can't go out and see what it is real quick because it'll scare it away. So we just kind of just took it all in. It's like, oh wow, this is kind of exciting. So. That was pretty much my most memorable trip. Actually, there's one up in the Sierras. Uh, I was going, I was in between uh, chemos. And at that time, it was it was cold. And uh, I had slept in the back of my camper shell. And at, uh, I believe it was like 4.15 in the morning, I had two slaps on the side of my camper shell. I mean, it, it woke me up. I mean, it just, I was on high alert. Well, just prior to that, Stenny, he said, uh, he had a zipper on his tent going up and down and then, and then our fire started back up. It was like, I say somebody or something had put more wood in our fire that was out and that started up. So that was that, I can't explain that. That's, that's, that, I read that. I was like, well, that's significant. Like I've only heard your, I can count on one hand how many times I've heard people say, it put wood on my fire or pine cones. It put it put something on the fire. Like that's so rare to happen. Oh, and I got another one. Uh, it was in 2020, November. A buddy and I went up in his truck and we camped at this spot. And we went really light because I don't think we were supposed to be in there because of the fires. They didn't they didn't let anybody camp, but uh, we we kind of went there anyway. So we just decided to back into this spot and sleep in our trucks. So I was in the passenger side and it was a pretty good moon. And the moon went down over the, uh, the, the hills about three 30 in the morning. And right at four o'clock, my, my passenger door opened up. Now I'm all kicked back, laying back, you know, I'm pretty much sleeping. My door opened and then it, it closed real softly. And my buddy says, did you open that door to go to the bathroom? I go, no. So I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know who would do that. Um, has that ever happened to you guys? Uh, have you slept in your front truck? I don't sleep in my car anyway, actually. Yeah. Well, so the story is if you do that, make sure you lock your doors. <laughs> well, don't you want them to open your car? Uh, well, they did. I, I, I don't know. That's it. Uh, it kind of freaked me out. Did you do any follow up on that? Like perhaps checking for uh, fingerprints on the car because, uh, you know, the, the opener of the car, the handle, we kind of looked for prints and it, it was just, there's pine needles. And so just um, a mystery then we have no idea what did that then. And there's no one going to open your truck door. I mean, no one's going to do that. But you were, do you, you saw this happen, right? You were, or were you asleep? I, I was I was asleep and and I and I heard the door open. Oh, that woke you up. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it only opened up about a foot, and then it closed real softly. And that's when my buddy says, "Hey, did you open the door?" And I've got a lot of all uh, a lot of other stuff that happened, but you know, I think anybody that goes in the woods has some kind of little story to tell. Well, it's a land of mystery. You're inviting adventure when you go into the woods, no matter what happens. Well, you know, I like it wasn't necessarily Bigfoot related, but I think my favorite one was the person you met at the wedding and hooked you up with a relative that knew a spot that they had Bigfoot action, so they took you out there. 
I call that skookum and hillbillies. Oh, Bubba, you read that. Good, good. Yeah, you know, I there there was this kid that you know I started talking to him, and well, he was from Oregon. There was a wedding we were at down here. He goes, oh, I I got this guy who knows how to get into uh, Surprise Lake, uh, you know, the shortcut, because we wanted to go there because the fishing was supposed to be really good. So I got a hold of my buddy, Russ Lockram, and he met us up there, and and uh, we drove up there. First time I met this guy that was going to show us around, you know, I went over and introduced myself. He goes, hey, hey, I got some moonshine. You want a drink? I said, no, nah, I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, they had their feet. Hey, uh, hanging out the uh, window with it's like, oh boy, what am I getting myself into? So they took us up and we started going on this trail that he said went to surprise. Like, well, it didn't surprise. Yes. <laughs> and these guys were still there drinking moonshine. It's like, oh boy. So we kind of took off and we were trying to hide from them and they were trying to follow. It, it was, it wasn't a very good moment. You guys rode in the back and they were shooting shotguns out the windows, right? They were, yeah, as they were going up the mountain and their truck drinking, shooting out the window. And I, and I know my buddy Russ was looking at me like, Ken, what'd you get, what'd you get myself into? So that, that next day, that was when we went over to Skookum Lake. He go, Russ says, Hey, I got this spot. Let's go check it out. So that was the first time I went to Skookum. And then I, then the next day we came, we came out at the trailhead and there was, there was, there was two guys there. Started talking to them. And one of the guys is John Glenn, not, not the astronaut, but John Glenn who lives in St. Helens, Oregon. Uh, and he's a great friend and he, he loves going up to that area. Oh yeah. He hits it all the time, all the time. Oh, he'll go up there a couple times a week. I mean, not a couple times a week, but a couple times a month. And, uh, Oh, yeah, he's got some pretty good stuff to talk about. He's a real outdoorsman, that guy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, he's, and he dives for a living. He's 75 years old, and, he's, and he goes underwater with his dive suit checking docks and platforms like that, you know, fresh air. It's like, holy mackerel. This guy's an animal, you know? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he owned it. But, you know, you dive every day or most days. You're going to be in really good shape. I can't believe how – I mean, he's in his mid-70s, as you said. He, he might as well be like 60. He, might, he looks 60. Like a really solid sixty, and uh, he was the one that carved out the uh, uh, hotel Sasquatch. I don't know if you still have that or not. I I have those. They're they're over by my outbuilding actually. Yeah, I, mean, I they didn't all show up. Some letters are missing, but um, but uh, I do have all of those, and I'm trying to think of a way to incorporate that in the museum so they wouldn't get stolen. Yeah, he was the one that did that with me up at Indian Henry. He he got bored during the day, and he went up cut this tree that was down. And he cut it all with his chainsaw. He's a good. He's a good writer too. Like he, he, he's a man of prose. Yeah, yeah, he is. Good man. N- another thing that stood out in my mind, Bobo and Cliff. Uh, I, I've been fishing the Klamath River since 1970 when I was a little kid because my parents took me up there and we used to stay at a place called Aikens Creek Campground, which is just downstream of uh, Bluff Creek where it goes into the Klamath. So there was a place that we'd always take the raft and go down river and, and there was a creek that come on the other side, float into the river and uh, great fishing there. And I always wonder, it's like, because the canyon is really small. It's only about a hundred yards wide where the creek comes down. And I'm going, man, I wonder what's up there. So 
in 2013, just before it was made, just before I came up to that Florence expedition, I uh, got together four four guys from my work, and I had it all set up. I said, we're going to get backpacks. I'm going to take everybody across the river. We're going to hike down to where this creek is, and we're going to go up this creek and just stay a couple nights. And uh, in May, the river is flowing pretty good, and, and I kind of struggled a little bit. But I, I got everybody over and back across. So we hiked up this creek, and it, there, there was no trail except for a little deer trail. And, and it got worse. We had to, and the creek is pretty good size. Uh, it's not as good as Bluff Creek, but it's, it's probably half that size. Pretty good. And we hiked up for about three hours and we decided this is a good spot right here. And just before it got dark, we, I, I gave everybody some glow sticks, you know, I said, Hey, why don't we just hang these in the trees? So we all kind of split up and it was just about dark. And up on the canyon, there's a canyon. It's, it's not very wide. It's probably at that point, it was about 60 or 70 yards wide. And the, and the hill went straight up. And there was five, I counted them. There was five uh, rock slaps. You know, boom, 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 boom. It was definitely rock and rock. It was so loud. And we all, you know, we were all spread out. And we all looked at each other. And it was interesting because they did five knocks with the rock, and there was five of us there. I don't know if that means anything. Sometimes you only hear one. Sometimes you hear two, but usually one or two, but not five. And I brought a guy I work with that didn't believe in Bigfoot at all. So we were sitting around our tents. It was dark, and we started hearing it sounded like children playing in a school far away. And he goes, is there a, is there a school or park close by? So I said, I said, no, this is a Sunday evening and we are probably 30 miles from Hoopa and there ain't nothing. And it's like, that was, that was pretty good. You know what I was going to talk to you about? That's what I wanted to talk about was I've actually, when you wrote that you went up to that Creek, I was like, no way. Cause that place is so squashed. I've been over there twice. What's the name of the creek, Bubble? Hopkins? Yeah, yeah, Hopkins. Okay. Oh, you were there. Uh, I, thought I, was the, I thought I was the only guy that ever been up there. <laughs> you know what's funny, too, is that you said you, talk, you mentioned Phil from Bluff Creek Resort. He took me there the first time I went up there. And you, you said he'd never been there, but he went there with me. We, we didn't stay the night or anything. We hiked up pretty far and then came back. And it was, yeah, it was pretty rugged, but... There was a guy, this native guy, he was a bear poacher. He was prolific. He had, he got 218 bears in one year. Like, he put a huge dent in the population around that area. But wow. the, he'd go on the back roads up to that above. He hunted the ridgetops of those, of the like, the meadows above that creek. It's, you know, it's a couple thousand feet up. Mm-hmm. But he that's where he did a lot. A lot of his poaching was up there. Hmm. Because he said there was, he saw big. He used to see, uh, he saw the same female Bigfoot up there, all the time. And he said there was an old fire lookout up up in that area. He said it would sit underneath a fire lookout and just look out over the valley. It was an abandoned fire lookout. I tell you what, this this creek that I'm talking about, um, what a perfect location to hide out. Got water, got deer everywhere, and but it's so rugged that. I couldn't get anybody to go back with me. 
So, uh, you know, especially when you're carrying a backpack, you know, across the creek that's up to your knees or a little higher. And, yeah, I pointed out to you, Cliff, when we've been driving by on the road there, I said, like, that's the creek. And you're like, yeah, it looks, that looks great up there. Yeah, and I mean, no, I'm looking at it now on uh, Google Maps here, and, it, and there's it's not even a lot of logging roads on the north and west side of it, man. It's like nothing but woods and hills. Looks like you got to go around the whole thing and approach it from the southeast, even to get up in there if you want to drive there. It's a long drive to get up there. Or if you just take a raft across. And- yeah, yeah, and then walk it up. But still, that that's asking for some some sore muscles the next day. Yeah, all these little draws and whatnot up there. Just, I mean, I don't know. There's only so many hours in the day and, you know, so many days in our life. You could sp- I'd love to go up every single one of these things and go check it out. There'd be so many fantastic locations and beautiful spots to, to chill for a while. That was the, that was that bear poacher guy, Cliff. Remember, he was the guy that um, I don't know if you, I think I don't know if you met him or not, but he uh, he was on a logging unit out there working, and they were uh, they put they had a a big uh, loader on the site, and it it was near the end of, it was the end of the season, and they were shutting down, and it snowed pretty good, and they they uh, they left a bunch of trash and they locked it in the in the loader, and it had a a steel cage uh, welded around the driving cockpit. You know, like they had like that corrugated metal they put around and they put all the trash in and they locked it in there so the bears couldn't get it. Well, there was Bigfoot tracks walked up through the snow, like, you know, six inches, six inches of snow, these big, like 16, 18 inch tracks somewhere in there, walked up to that, walked all around the unit. You could see where they could see where it messed with the door handles and stuff, couldn't get it unlocked. And it reached up and, pulled down one of those metal grates like bent the metal yanked it down reached in to get the the trash and as it pulled its arm out it lost a big chunk of um flesh and hair like a big scrape mark just peeled it off and pulled the trash out and when it walked off there was like a blood trail where it was it was dripping off its arm on the whatever side it was there was just a a good amount of blood going across the snow and he collected that skin sample was it had you know it had fat on it it was a pretty big chunk i think he said like about four, four or five inches by like an inch and a half and had maybe like a eighth of an inch or a quarter inch of meat attached to it and on the hair and, and i convinced him to let me take it to go get it tested and his uh he he stayed with his great aunt and she was a traditional old uh Yurok, and she ref- she said no you that stays here. It's, it's she used it for medicine, and it was <clears throat> it was in plastic. It was it was like 10, 12 years old at that point, but it was really and it was above a above. It was on the mantle above their wood stove, so it was definitely got cooked, you know, baking hot a lot, and it was in plastic. So I don't know how viable it was, but uh, that was one of those near misses. Yeah, missed opportunity there. Yeah, I was thinking of going in and stealing it. I was like, God, I could, I could probably slip in there and get that thing, you know, but undetected. But that's going to be too bad of mode. Like, you know, you can't. That's going too far. Yeah, man, karma would haunt you on that one, and like messing with Bigfoot. Yeah, I imagine Bigfoot karma. Is, well, I mean, we've all experienced some level of Bigfoot karma. It, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's not gentle. You know, you know, it was uh, another thing that was mentioned in your book a few times that Cliff and I can both relate to, and anyone that's been on. Cliff's expeditions when he was doing those guided tours, I did some of them, was Sharon Bielart's chocolate chip cookies. Oh, my goodness. She's a goddess in general. She is. When you're up in the boonies, man, chocolate chip cookies, oh, my goodness. 
anything Sharon Sharon cooks would be fantastic. And I, I think that any of my expeditioners who are listening to this would are probably shouting uh, praises to Sharon at this very moment in their car driving to work. Best camp cook ever. Best one ever. And and she's become a very, very good friend that I just really treasure a relationship with Sharon. Oh, going with the B-Large. Going with the B-Large. No one knows more about that area than Joe. I mean, he's the one that turns you on a lot of those spots up there. Then he brings his wife, who's the best camp host cook of all time, bar none. And Joe, with all his knowledge, it's like you can't have a better pair out there with you. So next year, my plan is, uh, I already talked to Joe. I said, Joe, can you take me to your two or three favorite best spots that you you haven't shown me? He goes, yep, I'll do that next year. So I'm really looking forward to that. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, very good. Very good. You're certainly in good hands when you uh, pop up in the this neck of the woods if you're hanging out with Joe Bielart. And uh, his book, his he kind of just, he literally wrote the book on Mount Hood National Forest Bigfooting, at least in the um, the, the Clackamas region with his uh, the, uh, the Bigfoot Highway book that he wrote. It, it is the number one seller at the museum. It is a fantastic resource. Uh, and whatever it's worth, you can go always get him an autograph to the museum too, if you want Joe's um, autograph on them. So Hell yeah. Yeah, totally. So, Ken, where can people find this book of yours? Uh, you can find it on Amazon.com. It's selling for twelve ninety nine. It's a pretty reasonable price. And uh, oh yeah, and by the way, it's called Cancer and Bigfoot: My Story by Kenan Carter. Ken Carter. Kenan is his full name, I guess. So, Cancer and Bigfoot: My Story on Amazon for twelve and a half, thirteen bucks. Not bad. Or you can always go to the show notes and click that link, and it'll go right there for you too. Cool. So any more books in the uh, plan for you there? Is that it? That is it for now. Uh, I only did it because I was had a lot of free time on my hands. But, uh, you know, I hope I don't write another one <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> Good point. Good yeah. point. You kind of, your, your, your free time book writing coincided with most of the world because of the pandemic. There was a lot of books written during that time. I bet. Yeah. Well, cool, Ken. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us. That was an inspiring story. We're glad you're doing all right. No, thank you, Bubba. Very thankful that you made it through all that. And uh, just another cancer survivor saying, F you, cancer. Amen. Yep. Any friend of Stinney's a good friend of ours. Love him. Miss him. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ken, for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond. We really appreciate it and wish you good luck with not only your book, but with your health, which is far more important anyway. So good job beating this thing. Thank you, Cliff. Well, good luck, Ken. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you around out in the woods sometime. Okay, Bobo, hope so. All right, take it easy. Bye-bye. Well, there you go, Bubs. There you go, Bubs. That kind of hits home for me a little bit, man, because uh, my dad had lymphoma, of course. Uh, that was a cancer he suffered from. Um, he beat it to some degree. He's passed away now, unfortunately. Uh, he had a, a heart condition that uh, they couldn't fix because he was so beaten down by the chemo. But my dad is much older, I think, than uh and then Ken was so um that's the way it is but it's it's, it's nice to hear uh how bigfoot kind of played a role in that because we all lean on bigfoot in different ways you know um it, it helped me deal with a lot of things back in my in my life you know getting out to the woods and being alone and you know do some real thinking and stuff and it touches everyone's life i guess who's involved in this in some sort of way um and it's nice to hear the, the positive things that come from it because you know the negative things that are out there, they kind of take over. Like one or two negative things will eclipse 30 positive things. Um, that's just human psychology, though. So it's nice to hear some good stuff coming out of it and how the, it helps can navigate that weird time in his life. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, anyway, Bobes, do you have anything coming up you want to talk about or anything that you want to share with everybody before we leave? Oh, well, I did. I got, I did, I do have something new. I got, I got my funding to finish my movie. Ooh, that's nice. That's cool. What, what, now, which one is this? Because you're involved in a lot of productions right now. It'll, I'll be finishing like three of them in the next month and a half. Is that all you have going right now? Do you, I mean, do you have how many movies? That, that, that question didn't sound right, but do you have three movies out there that you're working on right now? Is that all of the movies you're working on or are there actually more than that? One more. Four total? Man, I, I, no wonder you're hard to get a hold of. I just thought it was the Bobes, but. It's a bit of both. Oh, and I, I got a new phone last night, dude. I got to make so many calls. I, I can see my screen all the time, usually, but I'd touch it and nothing would happen. Like this touch screen wasn't working. And then my antenna inside was was kind of messed up. So my reception was horrible all the time. And the internet didn't work a lot. I mean, it was just a pain. In the, I, it's been going on for like almost a year. And it got really bad the last couple of months. But so I got a new phone. So I'm going to be a lot more uh, easy to get a hold of. Because I'd see the phone ringing. And I'd, I'd try to answer and nothing would happen. So you're going to be easier to get a hold. I'm going to hold you to that statement, Bobo. Easier to get a hold of. Well, not for everyone. Just for you. Just for me. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I will hold you to that because I'll take any opportunity to hold the bobes. <laughs> I still don't carry it all the time or keep the ringer on, but I wouldn't expect you to. All right. Okay, folks. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks to Ken for joining us with cancer and Bigfoot, my story. Check that out. And until next week, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 